This is an ABC podcast. Take five. The people you love play five songs they love and tell you why. One of the most beautiful voices performing today is that of Marlon Williams. I'm going to build a world around you Too far, you're too far away for me to pull you in and show you just what I The New Zealand singer has been a rising star over the past few years, not only with his music, but increasingly on screen with roles in A Star Is Born, the Beautiful Lie and True History of the Kelly Gang. It's been about four years since his last solo record too, but he's just returned with My Boy. And it's quite the flip from his last. It's full of jaunty rhythms, 80 synths and a lighter quality all round. On the day he released it, Marlon joined me to take five. Among his beautiful song choices, we also chatted heaps about the new record and how it felt finally having it out in the world. I guess it feels cathartic too, you know, it's, it's a, you sort of keep your secret for long enough and it grows and grows and then, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a real, real relief to uh, not have to have it on my back anymore. Pass it on to other people's backs. Exactly, And yeah. ears and feet. To do with it what they will. Yeah. yeah. Well, there is something about that, isn't it, when they're obviously songs that are from you, but as a songwriter and someone who is a performer... You've got to kind of let it go and go, whatever you want to do with it, it's all yours now, right? I've come to really like that part, yeah, the watching the songs shift in, in the public eye, you know, because they do, they, they change. You realise things about them just by virtue of having them in the world at all, you know. It's like, oh, right, that's, that's what it's about. I thought it was, I was on some other tip there, but you've shown me the light. <laughs> People explaining Marlon Williams songs to him. Yeah. There's a uh, podcast in that. <laughs> that's that's a good podcast. Interpretations of Marlon. Yeah. Everyone, yeah. That sounds good. like a lounge album, actually. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to make that record in the next 20 years. Shades of Marlon. I reckon you've got it in you. I don't know what you're saying. River rival, no survival. It's a mirror, more than you. Did you know what you wanted to do when you set out to make this record? Did you have an idea of the, the structure of it or the, the tone that you wanted to set? I had colours and tones. I didn't have a didn't have a massive plan. I think, you know, in a, in a lot of ways, it's sort of, it feels more like a second record than Make Way For Love did, just because Make Way For Love was such a specific record. Mm. This feels more, it's that, like, the exploratory testing out new bits and bobs for better or for worse this record I think it's so it, yeah it's a second it's got second record energy I think it feels a lot more playful too obviously since the last record but I just <laughs> I guess you know more general you feel like to me again my interpretation in a much more whimsical place with this album yeah yeah I, I just I wanted it to be lighter I wanted to allow myself when I take these songs out into the world and have to tour them relentlessly. I, you know, I wanted, I wanted it to be fun. Now I know why you made this album. Yeah. Were you in just like the absolute doldrums touring Make Way For Love around the world and just constantly reliving your heartbreak over and over again? I definitely got a, I got a little nauseating after a while. <laughs> yeah. You're like, shut up, Marlon. Oh, no, I can't. I've got another set of shows. These people have paid money. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> to feel things. Yeah. <laughs> Well, we 
we're going to hear a lot about the record throughout this next hour. We just heard the beautiful My Boy, which was the very first introduction we had to this album. Speaking of whimsical, just such a gorgeous light song. But I also want to hear about some of the other music that I guess you've been listening to that's fed into this sense of renewal over the next five songs. Beginning with Martin Gore, the founding member, one of them, of mm-hmm. Depeche Mode. This was his debut solo EP. Why did you choose Compulsion? Got to move on sometime. 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 I chose it because it's a really, it's a bizarre, tight, repetitive song that's completely obscure to me and I, don't, I really, I still have no idea what it's about, but it's, it drills, it just drills it into you the whole, over the, however long the track is. And I think there's a couple of tracks on the album that I really tried to harness that sort of in your face, like obvious obscurity, obscurity you know, that what kind of thing. What do you mean by obvious obscurity? Well, it's, it's, it's very, it lays it out for you over over again in a way that you can't, can't comprehend. And it says, no, 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 blah, 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 blah. No, no, no. And then it's, it's like, I still don't get it. But it's just, it, bring, it brings its own sort of import, air of importance along, along with it. I love it. Is there something kind of beguiling and compelling about having something that is just always out of arm's reach? Absolutely. I think it's crucial to longevity in any sort of, with, with any piece of art. You know, you need to, it has to be hidden from you some of the time. Mm. Otherwise, you're just, Stop chasing it. You know. The mystery. Yeah. Got to move on sometime. Got to move on sometime. This next song comes from the St. Joseph's Māori Girls Choir with Maisie Rika, and it's called Hine. a glorious piece of music. Thank you for sharing it. Oh, isn't it beautiful? So, it's, so pretty. Yeah, I, I, I love the simplicity of that song. It's And that it's got that, you know, that really light feathery Māori strum that's just, it just feels like someone's just like rubbing a feather on your face. <laughs> that's such a beautiful way of describing <laughs> it. Yeah. And you're like, keep going, don't stop. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just, yeah, it's just a really straight down the line, simple love song. And it's and Maisie Rika's just got such an incredible voice. And Tell me about Maisie. I'd never heard of her before, but what's her story? Well, so I think she was 15 when she recorded that. And the St Joseph's Girls Choir is famous in New Zealand as being, you know, as uh, putting out incredible singers over decades and decades. And Maisie just continues to write extremely um, beautiful and, and intricate music. A lot of which is deeply rooted in, in old Māori traditions and a lot, but always with their sort of um, signature style. But I, the, there's this whole album of her when she's 15 with the St. Joseph's Choir is just essential listening for New Zealanders. Yeah, yeah. this is on this, like, the school curriculum. You have to listen to this. It should be. Yeah. It should be. It's not. <laughs> to study. Why do I 
New Zealand is obviously where you're from, but for many years you were touring around the world. You lived in Melbourne for a while. Mm. When the pandemic hit, you headed home back to New Zealand. And of course, like most of us, things became very still very quickly. Mm. What was it like for you in the last couple of years, just slowing down and, and, and being back home? The timing couldn't have been better for me, really. I'd, you know, I'd finished massive touring. The touring harrowing of, tour. The harrowing tour of, <laughs> of my own inner demons uh, on my way for love and just was really looking forward, you know, to going home. And I went home and then a wee while later the the lockdown happened and, yeah, it sort of meant that I had no excuse but to um, really get into working on this record. But, yeah, I, I started studying Māori again, the language, and I, I don't know, I just really, I watched all my favourite shows, you know, all the, all the bits. But, and, and, yeah, just started collating some very sort of divergent sort of threads that that went into making this record. Last time you saw me I was burning up Now my veins are ice There's something else calling out to me And it's nice Was connecting back with language also a way of connecting back with with heritage and your connection to to place and to people? Mm, I think it was, yeah, it was pretty holistic, you know. It was, it was just seemed like, it, you know, it's something I've been meaning to do for a long time and it was, you know, there's no better place to place to do it than when you're at home. Um, and I'd, I'd done, a, done a diploma on an online one while I was over on tour, which was great and just sort of, but I needed, you know, there's it's, it's not enough Māori speakers in Copenhagen or wherever I was, so mm. I had to wait till I got home. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah. Um, you are singing in Te Reo Māori on this record. Don't go back is one of my favourites. It's beautiful to hear you sing in language on this record, and it's something you've been doing a lot when you've been doing live streams and stuff through the pandemic. But what's that little synth sound in that song as well? Yeah, well, that's the sound of the ruru. That's the sound of the native New Zealand owl. And we were recording the song up in Waipu, which is a sort of settlement north of Auckland and Northland. And there were all of these ruru in the trees around where we were sort of practising the song. And this one just kept going, just outside the window. So I just got the synth out and just recreated it. And then it became the hook of the song. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Talk about connecting back to place. I know, yeah. It's, I, I like, yeah, you know, it's, it's nice to uh, create a synthesised um, native birds. It's fun. <laughs> That's also one of the, like, kind of dance floor fillers of the record too, so I love that the hook is an owl sound. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you never know. You never know what's going to work. Go back to the party, everybody thinks they know you. So, so good. And it's a perfect lead-in to your next choice because you've chosen a song called Ruru. Mm. Harini Melbourne is the artist. Ruru. Go, go. Ruru. Another person I know nothing about. Educate mm. me, Marlon. Tell me about Harini. Harini Melbourne is a... Um was a, a songwriter and, and an educator and a, a language expert and a music expert from the Tuhoi region, which is 
in the uh, Uruweta National Forest on the North Island. He wrote a lot of what became the staple kids' songs. And when I, when I was growing up, we'd sing, we'd always sing songs in Māori by Hedini Melbourne. But he's just one of those, he's one of those writers that writes so simply and so beautifully. You know, these are songs for children, but... Can you sing one now? Um, e ko ka ko wawata e tohu o huia e Engari e kore erite ka noho tonu Hey, Coca-Cola. Just really, yeah. And this, <laughs> this, so good. That song, <laughs> song is addressing uh, an endangered bird, the Coca-Cola, and and asking and saying, "You sit there all day, crying over um, the huia, which is an extinct bird." And then you know, why why do you sit there crying all day? And then it's then it goes into, "Hey man, you sit there crying all day over the Coca-Cola." Why do you keep crying about the Kokoko? And it's just, it's kind of funny and it's extremely sad, but it's beautifully simple and it's just, and kids just are so drawn to that kind of stuff. But this song, Rudu, yeah, it's, bit, it's the same. You'll hear the, um, the Rudu, the, the more pork that features on her, Don't Go Back. Did you think about that when you when you heard that that owl and, and, and think about Harini and, and the music that, that he'd made and, and the education he'd given you? I didn't make the connection. I was so in my own head doing it that I just was just doing it and then then I listened to Hitting New Melbourne again for the first time in years and I was like, oh that's where it came from. It's that grabbing of the natural sounds and putting them in songs, yeah. Where did it take you back to when you went back to that? Were you immediately a little kid again? Yeah, I was about four years old. I went to a total immersion Kohangareo, like a Māori kindergarten and yeah, it this next song is Lee Hazelwood, Easy and Me. We rode on trains with hunger and pain, but we didn't cry. Easy and me and some other guy. Why did you choose the legendary Lee Hazelwood? The song's called Easy and Me, and I just stole stole this idea of him of, of personifying easy as a person. You know, I just really liked that. It's really cute and sort of romantic and kind of cheeky, you know. And I just, it's sort of really that the title of the song that really informed my song, Easy Does It. That's how easy does it. And she does it every time. Yeah, I really wanted to go down this line of yeah, talking about this person who you just can only stand in admiration at their ability to um, just coast through life. But of course, the the subtext is that like there's a, a like a trail of chaos, you know, behind you. So it's yeah, but it's not a you know, it's not a song in condemnation. Condemnation of that, it's just a bit tongue in cheek. But um, yeah, so I just I really loved this idea of yeah, personification of easy. 
Lee Hazelwood has always had such a great uh, cinematic way of telling stories as well. He's obviously got a great connection to old Hollywood, mm. but just the way that he tells a story, it always feels like a soundtrack to a really hazy kind of epic oh, no. story. Just, <laughs> you yeah. can see the dust in the air and the sunset. It's just so blissful. Totally, yes. Yeah, you know, in that song, such a, a train hopper. She kissed my cheek and whispered goodbye. Then easy walked on with some other guy. You've done a lot of, I guess, different things creatively since we last met. Most notably, you've been acting in films, in television, a whole lot more. Has that experience shifted the way you tell other people's stories in in your songwriting as well and you play characters in your songs? I think I've certainly learnt about how much or how little you need to do to be able to show a character, I think. Yeah, my, my acting mentor, Miranda Harcourt, you know, she said, when you're, you know, when you're a... Um, a musician and you're up on stage you're used you're sort of used to having to present the whole universe but when you you know when you're an actor on screen you just you got to let the world act around you and just you know just watch it watch it act so I think I'm trying to like yeah I'm trying to pull some of that back into the music in some way just some way of, of setting a scene with that and letting the scene dictate the story I guess that's great advice. Mm, that's great, yeah. Almost like make yourself smaller and think about the world that orbits around just you. Just watch, yeah. Just watch. Yeah, it's, it really it really helped my acting. Do you sure. do you think that you play characters in your songs in a different way than you did before? Again, it's hard to kind of compare to your mm. last record, which was so intensely personal. Exactly, yeah. I mean, in some ways, I won't find out until I'm on tour and and this and the the performances are becoming more natural and sort of automatic, you know. Mm. But um, yeah, I'll get back to you on that. Okay, good. We'll check in. I'll give you a call about halfway through the tour. Great. It also feels like an album that's got a lot of self-discovery through it. You know, it's called My Boy. Mm. There's a lot of themes of of masculinity, of boyhood, of adulthood as well. Mm. Where was your head swimming through in that? I guess also knowing that you were going back home and connecting to family and and, and people who had probably known you from before you became famous and all of that stuff. Yeah, that that whole thing, you know, I'm... I'm in my 30s now and I still think about this that transition from boyhood to manhood a lot. And it's it's interesting, you know, to be, you know, I'm like I'm well beyond a child. <laughs> but it's just it's one of those themes that I, I just can't seem to escape. And I you know, I still of course, you know, you, you never like you always have older people you look up to, but it's really it's an, a lot of the albums in celebration of older male role models yeah and it's and celebration and fascination and fear and I didn't realize I was making that album until afterwards you know until I looked at what what the damage was and you know it was like, oh, this that's one of the main bits
Do you find that a lot with your songs? That it's not until you take a step back and you realise the body of work that you see what's actually emerged? Yeah. I don't really write consciously in any sort of way. It's which And it's why it this keeps it fascinating for me too, you know, because I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm a not like beholden to the songs, you know, they they have their own life, and I get to, I get to learn from them as I go too. Um, I learn more than anyone, I think. It feels like a weird way to write an album, anyway. I don't know anyone who would do that unless it was in a very cynical way that you'd be like, "Here's the album I'm going to write, and this is how I'll execute it in a spreadsheet." In, yeah, it takes know, away all the creative flow. You know those people. Though. They were those people. <laughs> There are those people. They've got they've got different markers, different coloured markers. Rivers Cuomo from Weezer is one of those people. That doesn't surprise me. Yeah, <laughs> he has spreadsheets. Wow, Weezer. I kind of respect that. Oh yeah, no, it's but it it's definitely takes out the heart of a lot of the songs that you grew up loving. <laughs> <laughs> yes. There is one song on the album called "My Heart, The Wormhole." Mm. It's jaunty. It's it's full. It's a really rollicking kind of song. But there's a line in it: "I'm still a boy, you're still a king." Mm. I'm still a boy. You're still a king. Who's that song for? No one. It's it's another one of those songs. It's um, it's just it's just sort of snapshots of um, some some real memories, some made up memories, and some I don't know. I can't remember. That's sort of a it's a song. That's a song for myself, really. It's, I don't the king. The king's a few people. There's some truth in that song, and there's some made up stuff and then there's a lot in between. Marlon Williams keeping it mysterious, <laughs> which is what we love. The mystery of song. Yeah. Find your own interpretation in it as That's well. Right. There is a big love of 80s synths throughout this record too and we kicked off in that realm with your first choice of Martin Gore and we're going to kind of bookend it with your final choice from Duran Duran. Until we was a song that soundtracked A View to Kill, the only James Bond theme song to go number one in America. Is that right? Mm. I did not know that. You know how to pick a winner. Wow, yeah. I mean, that was the first piece of music, I think, that I ever owned. That was my own tape. I was going to say it was a single, wasn't it? It was a single. See, yeah. I know your era. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I um, And I loved it. I just, it's such an insane song. All of those little, like... Spiky synth bits are just so dumb. <laughs> I was like, and I just, yeah. And so, like, I guess, you know, there's a song I'm thinking of Nina on my record. Please don't mistake my intentions. I believe in love under certain conditions. Can we say, just quickly, mm. I just assumed when I saw the title, oh, it's about Nina Simone. Oh, but yeah. it's so not, is it's it? It's really not. No, it's, <laughs> it's, about, it's about Nina, I don't know what her surname is, from the TV show The Americans. Who's like a, um, she works in the Russian embassy. And have you seen the show? Yeah, I love yeah. The Americans. Oh, oh, shit, spoiler alert. Not many people have seen it. I, I am an evangelist about The Americans. Oh, great. Just yeah. gets better and better. We can make a fan club. <laughs> I really love it, eh? It's so, it's the best show. I was excited when I found out that it was about that Nina because she's a great character. Yeah, well, it's, so this, yeah, this is the thing. Like, initially, I watched the show and I was so, just so moved by, by Nina's plight. I was like, I've got to write it. I need to write about this. And it sort of just started coming out. And then I was like, that's so dumb. Like, you're writing about it. 
you're writing about a TV show character and you're like, you know, and you're like, you're writing and sort of angsting about her safety and her like, you know, you, you want to save her. And you're, and she's in the show is being constantly being buoyed around by men trying to save her and it ends up killing her. Mm. And so, Water I, alert. Oh, crap. Yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's been finished for a while. If you haven't gotten around to it, I'm yeah, sorry. I can't help you. Um, <laughs> so I sort of, that's where the Selena, that's where I was like, okay, it has to be this full neuromantic, like soppy, um, overly sort of pathetic, you know, like spy song mm. to make, just to poke fun at itself. And then, I, yeah, I love Duran Duran, but they're ridiculous. And I just, the song is ridiculous. Is there something about the sound of the 80s, which I think is obviously a trend, but there is something silly about it? D- does the silliness take away from the respect you can have for the music that was made? Because it can be a little bit hammy? I don't, I think it's just taken on a whole new sort of meaning, yeah, a whole new relevance or importance because of that. I don't know. It's, it's probably shifted. I probably used to think that it was just dumb and not, and be like, that's, you know, like when I was younger. But I don't know. I think it's got its own weight now, even though it's silly. What do you think? I think that it has its own weight. I think that drum machines date music very quickly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> As well. Yeah. But the two can exist at the same time. Yeah, and we have so much ironic 80s music, like 80s sounding music now, that it's sort of, I think you probably, we probably like attribute irony to the 80s music itself now, mm. just because we're so used to it being that way. Everything's cyclical. Yeah. Meeting you with a view to waking Face to face in secret places Feel the chill Duran Duran, ending a wholesome and beautiful Take 5 with the one and only Marlon Williams. What a legend. I could chat with that fella for days. And if you're loving the Take 5 too, let me know by leaving a review in your podcast app. And get ready for Take 5 on TV. Yes, our premiere season with Guy Pearce, Tori Amos, Keith Urban, Missy Higgins and Tony Armstrong kicks off on Tuesday, September 20 on ABC TV and iView. Next time here on the podcast, we'll be hanging out with another Dead Set legend. Don't look ahead, there's stormy weather. Santi White, better known as Santi Gold, has just returned with a new record called Spirituals. And she'll join you to Take 5 with her songs of elevation. Take 5! The Take 5 with Zan Rowe. Every week, hear the people you love. Hi, I'm Joan Jett. Hey, this is Nana Cherry. And I'm Taking 5. Talk about the five songs they love. Hear stories of discovery. And I heard this thing coming out of the speakers. I was like, oh my God, what is that noise? Wow. And the songs that changed how they saw the world. It just affected me deeply. I never knew rap could be that powerful. It's like a jungle. Join Zan Rowe and Take 5. Life 101 with Kimber and Zan. Pull up a chair. (laughs) Subscribe now.